Welcome to the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show uncovering the news and trends that matter most for companies and their stocks across technology, media, retail, gaming, and more. I'm Tim Stenebeck. Retail investors are certainly having a moment right now, and when we're talking about retail investing, the stock trading app Robinhood is, is certainly the one that gets a lot of the attention. After all, Robinhood has added more than 3 million accounts since the beginning of the year, and it's raised hundreds of millions of dollars just in the last few months reaching a valuation of more than $11 billion. But Robinhood isn't the only game in town. It's not the only app trying to disrupt the traditional retail brokerages. Those companies like Charles Schwab and Fidelity. Public.com is a social investing app that's working to create a community around investing. It, it's sort of like Twitter or StockTwits meets Robinhood. You can buy and sell stocks and discuss them with others on the app. But there are some key differences. Public.com is going for a more longer-term investor. It doesn't allow day trading and doesn't even offer those complicated trades like options, things that Robinhood has gotten a lot of heat for recently. But I'll let our first guest, Katie Perry, the Vice President of Marketing at Public.com, tell us all about it. Here's Katie. Katie, it is so great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. Happy to be here. So for those who are unfamiliar with public.com, explain what it is and also how it's different from companies and platforms like Robinhood and StockTwits. Public is a social investing app. So you can kind of think of that in two facets. The first being, you know, a, a fractional investing app where you can buy slices of shares of thousands of publicly traded companies and ETFs you know, manage your portfolio, view your performance, all of the things you would expect from a modern brokerage. With that, there's a social layer. Um, and so that is, you know, I describe that to people who haven't experienced the app as sort of like Venmo meets business Twitter. It's a place where when you make an investment or if you add something to your watch list, you can explain why you did that and kind of break down your thinking to the community. And so everyone can learn together. Uh, so we really view social as an educational vehicle. When somebody explains why they're investing in a company like Peloton or Microsoft or whatever it is, being able to explain why you believe in that company and kind of share what's going on in your brain when you're making that choice is really beneficial for other people to listen to. Not because they're necessarily going to follow exactly what you do. That's really not the point. It's just to kind of share knowledge and insights. Um, and so you get that feed of people sharing their activity. Um, and then we also have chat groups um, and you can DM people. So you can build sort of micro communities on top of that for for connecting with people who are interested in uh, very specific things, the same topics you are. So that's, yeah, that's it's so interesting that you say that because I'm, I'm looking at the app right now and, and I and actually see you in the feed. It's And this is from, you know, a couple hours ago, you said, yeah. uh, Katy Perry invested in Lemonade and you write, getting in on this one after being on the sidelines for a while, interested in companies that simplify the complex and are disrupting legacy players that are less relevant to incoming generations of consumers. So you're telling this entire your entire feed and people who aren't even you know quote unquote friends with you why you're getting into this stock why you're why you're interested in yeah and I, oh, a couple of things I love about this one it doesn't have the amounts on there so this isn't kind of you know people who have the most money can have more clout it's it really levels the playing field anyone 
in there can be a participant in the conversation, which I think is great and really important as people get started. The second is, um, you know, you can you can kind of put out there what you believe. And, you know, sometimes people build on that. Sometimes it's a, a friendly debate that happens. And even with those differences of opinion, you get really interesting learnings. And, you know, I had one example where I had invested in a company and a couple of college students weighed in because it was a company that was very specific to their world. And they were giving me like the real talk about what really goes on with this company on their campus. And I'm like, I would never would have gotten this insight. Um, so it's great to have those those builded conversations kind of coming from your investments as a way to learn. So Robinhood has gotten a ton of attention uh, for better, or for worse, amidst this pandemic. And the company has a valuation north of $11 billion. Talk a little bit about how you're differentiating yourself from Robinhood, because I think a lot of people would take one look at public.com and say, oh, this looks a lot like Robinhood. A couple things stand out. One is definitely the social aspect. Um, so again, like you can buy the fractional shares, you can manage your account, but there's this educational layer that the community adds where you can really easily share ideas and kind of broaden your education about investing in business trends overall with other people. The other difference I would say is sort of the profile of investor that we tend mm. to attract. Um, we recently polled our members and 74% of them self-described as, you know, predominantly long-term investors. And Interesting. You can't even day trade in public. We have a no day trade policy. At this moment, we don't have any kind of complex trading instruments. So, so do you really, have options or are no. you able to do that? Nope. Okay. That's a big difference. Uh, yeah. And so it really is kind of more the longer term mindset of people in there. And that's why the conversations that are happening are kind of bigger and broader. Um, it's not kind of making a commentary on a specific stock move at a point of time in the day. Um, it's more looking more ahead, consumer behavior, exogenous forces going on that affect businesses, kind of those bigger, kind of more business trend themes, which is why the the nuance of the conversations is not really like what you see in some of these sub communities and forums that are really deep into stock trading. Mm -hmm. um, this is more for business insight. I see. What about when it comes to, to making money? How do you guys make money? Because you can make the trades for free and it doesn't cost anything to sign up. Yeah. So it's it's really important for us that we're transparent about this. We actually have a page on our homepage that just says, how does public make money? And we, we spell it all out there um, because it is something that comes up a lot. The first is interest on cash balances, which I think is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, there's also smart order. People routing. keep their cash. Yeah. People keep their cash and you yeah. guys make interest on that cash. Yep. And then smart order routing. So our clearing firm will direct our orders to routing destinations and on certain transactions, we'll receive a rebate. But, you know, it's the legal responsibility of the clearing firm to always seek the best price um, on those. And then the third one kind of building into the future would, would be subscription fees, which don't exist yet. Um, but it's something that we intend to introduce with new products. A lot of the discussion around these new apps and again, specifically about Robinhood is about protecting novice investors. And the company, I think, has come under some um, really fair criticism over the last few months about making sure that they're not um, they're not attracting people who 
uh, don't really have the right education or experience and, and making it too easy for them to, to lose money and really has a detrimental effect on people's lives. We've, we've seen that happen. How are you guys at public.com making sure that novice investors stay protected and, and talk about the culture and the community th- that you're trying to build? This is really important to what we're doing because 90% of our users, this is their first or one of their first experiences investing. And so I think I think we would say it's amazing when more people are getting interested in investing in business news in the stock market. This is kind of how you broaden the investor class beyond where it is now. We believe that with making the app social and accessible, and yes, it's fun, there needs to be a balance and a responsibility to those, especially those novice users, of having some guardrails in place to make sure that their first experience in the market um, is a good one. And so um, an example, you know, a few months ago when everything was going on with Hertz, we actually halted trading of that stock in our app temporarily because... So even if it wasn't halted uh, on the on the actual exchange where it's traded, you guys halted yeah. it inside the app. We did because it was just such an unprecedented thing that was happening and we were kind of like time out. Um, you know, we would hate for someone new to the market to kind of read something in some obscure forum and take that and run with that without having all of the context. So so building from that event, we actually built into the product something called safety labels, where we looked mm. at what are some of the things the SEC would say would make a stock potentially risky. And then we went ahead and labeled certain stocks in the app um, in a way that gave context to people. So you know, we don't, as a principal, want to tell people what to do or not do. Um, it's your prerogative if you want to make a more speculative investment. However, we want to make sure people have the context. So if a stock has a safety label in public, we actually ask you to kind of swipe to confirm that you read the context of why it has that label and you understand before proceeding. Um, so, so things like that we think are important as people are just getting started and learning about the market. In addition to balancing out all of the great things that make it accessible, friendly, intuitive, which I think helps democratize. How are you thinking about about getting people to stay in the app and, and using content as a way to, to keep users of public.com engaged on the platform? The social piece is really all about education and that obviously ties closely to the content. So being able to see how other people think about certain companies helps you build your own opinion and learn along the way. And so the way view it, we view it is, you know, the same way you have a diverse portfolio and that's considered less risky, getting more diverse perspectives from people who are outside of kind of your area of expertise might help you make more informed investment decisions. And so the kind of the broadness of our community in terms of who's in there is really important to kind of keeping people engaged, keeping things interesting. I love to go into the app and see, you know, in my feed, a teacher, uh, a healthcare professional, Mm -hmm. a product expert, a creative. um, And all these people have really deep insight into their into their worlds. And when you kind of bring them all together, it's really cool to have that access to expertise across different industries beyond just, you know, the financial markets alone. Um, and so the more diverse and broad our community is, the stronger the content is. And what about when it comes to to business news and, and that type of content? I ask because it does seem like Robinhood is is making a significant investment in 
bringing users into the platform through Robinhood snacks and and through content that's actually third party inside the app to make it more of a, a destination that where people go not just to actually trade stocks but also to get news about the companies that they're investing in. Yeah, we we actually have an API that pulls in business news, um, and in your feed, it'll pull news articles around the companies you're invested in and the ones that you have on your watch list. So as you have kind of sprinkles of people sharing their trades or sharing different opinions on their investment strategies, you will have peppered in uh, news about the companies you're invested in. Um, we're, we're soon going to announce in the chat groups the ability to actually use those news articles as prompts for the conversation. So, for example, I'm in a Future of Fitness chat group. We talk about things like Lululemon buying Mir. We talk about Peloton. Um, so if, if news kind of breaks on one of the topics that's relevant to our little group, we can pull that in and start a thread right in that chat group about that specific topic. Um, so again, it's always going back to the social of like being able to have conversations about what's going on, not just have like a one way reading the headline, but let's talk about it together. Okay. I know you're a, a relatively new company. I mean, just a few dozen employees work there right now, certainly a startup. What numbers can you share with me, starting with how much money you have raised, uh, any valuation that's public, and then um, context around how big the community is and, and, and what people are doing on the platform? We've raised $30 million in funding to date. Most recently, uh, Scott Galloway became an investor in the company. But in addition to Scott, um, some of the original investors in Venmo, Will Smith's Dreamers Fund, JJ Watt, um, some other prominent names. Um, so, so that's where we're at funding-wise. In terms of growth, we've grown our user base at a consistent pace of 160% quarter over quarter since launch, wow. which was last September. You mentioned Scott Galloway. Um, I think a lot of people learned about public.com through through him. Um, I certainly did because I, he has a lot of uh, passion followers through his podcast and on, on Twitter. What do you expect him to, to bring to the table, of course, other than the, the money that he invested? Yeah, Scott's great. We're so pumped to have him. I think a lot of that also is because he is so passionate about changing the culture of investing and creating responsible investing environments so that when new investors come in, they're having a great experience. And so just having that alignment um, in terms of passion and, and interest in the mission is so key. He's also, obviously, he's a professor. I mean, he's an educator at his core. And so we're really going to be using him to help educate um, consider things like virtual events, someday in real life events, different sort of training modules with Scott. He's already very active in the app. Um, and I think it all just goes back to, you know, Scott's main sort of uh, focus is on business strategy. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think that's kind of goes back to giving people the frameworks to make their own decisions and, and the tools to do that themselves uh, is really kind of the way we're thinking about educating. So we're really excited to build on the partnership with him moving forward. And Katie, last question. You, you joined the company close to a year ago. Um, obviously, things changed significantly at the beginning of the year with the pandemic, which we are unfortunately still in right now. I imagine you and many of your colleagues are, are still working from home at this point. How have you seen activity change uh, in terms of the community during the pandemic? It's interesting. We saw, you know, March, April, when the market was 
quite volatile. We saw, you know, time in app double. We saw social engagements in the app go up something like 70%. And from that, we kind of realized and it sort of confirmed the thesis that when things are uncertain or moving very fast, uh, people don't necessarily want to be alone with their charts and their numbers. Um, they want to talk about these topics with other people and share ideas. Um, I think in that same time frame, I also read that business news was the fastest growing category of news, even beating out you know politics, sports, obviously at that time. Um, but it's just you're seeing this surge of interest in like yes, people are moving and becoming retail investors, but just business overall is going more mainstream, and that's something that has been going on and continues to go on. And that is exactly kind of lined up with what we're trying to do in bringing investing to the mainstream. Um, and so all of those trends are obviously great um, in terms of what we're building. Um, we still have a lot, a lot of room to grow and everything, but we think the, this, this is only going to continue with people having more of an interest in these topics and looking to experience them in different ways. Katy Perry, VP of Marketing at Public.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Voices of Wall Street podcast. So great to chat with you. Thanks, Tim. Now, it's it's not just the companies that are trying to disrupt the big brokerages. There are a handful of companies trying to make financial data more accessible to retail investors. You know, people who can't pay thousands of dollars a year for Capital IQ, Refinitive Icon, or FactSet. Eric Shoiket is the founder of Adam Finance, and he thinks there's a real opportunity for something between those services and Google or Yahoo Finance. Here's Eric. Eric, thanks so much for joining us on the Voices of Wall Street podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So explain what, what Adam Finance is, what it does, and, and what inspired you to create it. Yeah, so Adam, uh, Adam Finance is a modern um, investment information research platform and, and monitoring uh, software solution. And, you know, the, the origin of the company was quite simply that, you know, I felt retail investors lacked a sufficient number of quality tools to conduct investment research and, and monitor markets. And that kind of stemmed from my time when I was a hedge fund investor and, and kind of left the fund and felt that it was just a general lack of solutions uh, for consumers that were adequate and also felt that, you know, on the institutional side, there, there were kind of just a bunch of clunky and super expensive platforms. And so you kind of had this market dynamic where there were very low quality retail investment platforms and then very expensive institutional offerings. And so we are trying to bridge that white space and, and offer something that is robust and comprehensive and um, qual a quality software product, but ultimately do it at a price point that is accessible to a wider audience. So you're trying to to build some sort of uh, financial services tool for a, a retail investor so they don't have to go and spend tens of thousands of dollars to buy one from Refinitiv or, or, or Reuters or Capital IQ, right? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think even if, you know, even putting money aside, I'm not sure they would, you know, want to use those solutions necessarily just given the the, the UIs and the way that they were designed. So we're also trying to very much focus on you know, having a modern UX and a modern user experience that people would expect from kind of a, a present day software solution. 
So, so what do you see as the as the total addressable market for retail investors who who want this type of information? They don't want it from Google Finance or Yahoo Finance, and they, they don't want it from the institutional players. Who are these people, and how big of a market of opportunity is that? Yeah, so we think it's millions of investors. I, I would say it's not even a matter of that they don't want it from Yahoo or Google Finance. Those are just you know kind of solutions that have existed for some time. You know, our our thesis is that if given a better offering, you know, you may see a lot of those people convert. Um, and so, you know, we think there's millions of folks out there who, who would want a, a solution like this. And it's right now you can sign up online for, for free. How, how do you guys plan to make money? Yeah, so we're introducing a, a premium subscription offering uh, in October. And basically, um, we're enhancing the current functionality that you see um, by adding things like mutual fund data, ETFs, uh, institutional investor holdings. And then there's a bunch of cool, more power user features that we're going to be adding to the web platform as well. And so we're going to be, you know, kind of along with that, launching a, a premium subscription offering. It's going to be super modestly priced initially. It's going to be $10 a month. And we think that will kind of make sure and, uh, that we're true to our mission, which is that, you know, a lot of folks will be able to afford that product. So where do you get the data? Because, you know, if you think about the institutional uh, offerings that are available now for, you know, places like Blackstone, where you used to work, um, they have proprietary data, Right. And that stuff they would argue is expensive to get their hands on and then in turn give to customers. So where do you get the data that you're able to give to customers for yeah, free so, or for 10 bucks a month? So, you know, we would argue actually that a lot of the data sets at this point are relatively commoditized. I mean, if we're talking about things like financials, uh, consensus estimates, um, a lot of those things are actually, you know, there's a few providers. So we actually partner with all a bunch of the companies you mentioned before. So uh, a lot of the major providers. So they're actually our partners. We also do some manual scraping and ingestion and and um, things like that on our end to actually amalgamate data ourselves. So it's a combination of, of both vendor partners we have, um, as well as some manual ingestion that we do ourselves. Okay. So um, talk to me about how you've been navigating this economic backdrop over the last few months. I know you've raised more than $10 million, and luckily you were able to do that before the pandemic. But take me, take me uh, through what you've been through this year. Yeah. I mean... I- the, you know, clearly the amount of retail investors that are interested in the stock market has increased quite dramatically, uh, you know, during the kind of March sell off and, and post that, which is great to see. Um, so I would say the general backdrop for the need for investing information and market monitoring solutions has, has certainly increased. So that's been favorable to us. It's been a tailwind. Uh, it's helped our user account grow about uh, 3x over, you know, kind of year to date. So that's been good. Um, and, you know, we, we see, you know, market volatility as being something that will probably exist for some time, given just kind of market valuations and, and the political mm-hmm. and macro dynamics that are occurring in the market. So, you know, we like volatility. We like um, people interested in the stock market. So these are all very positive tailwinds for the business. Can you give me any sort of metrics? I know you're obviously a startup, a private company, and you, you know, don't have to share any of this stuff, but give me the metrics in terms of growth, how many users you have, how you're measuring success. Yeah. So we don't disclose our users, but uh, you know, I'll say that you know, our active users are, are up you know, north of 3x a year to date. Um, and you know, we have a decent, you know, decent bit of scale at this point. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely been a good backdrop for us, uh, you know, as we continue to add users and kind of our, our um, top of mindedness increases, it's only going to help our growth. And, you know, we're really excited about the incremental features and product that we're building. We, we move very quickly. We aim to increase the product and make it even better. So if you go back and look at what the product was a year ago when it launched versus now, it's quite different. 
And, you know, we expect and hope that that will remain the case going forward. Eric, are you at all interested in building a, a, a sort of uh, trading app in the platform, becoming a brokerage as we've seen the rise of retail investing? Or are you sticking just to market intelligence and financial data? Yeah, so we, we really see our competitive advantage as kind of in the market intelligence and uh, software tool layer. Um, we really think we're good at, you know, amalg- amalgamating various data sources, combining into one one single platform that's a one-stop shop and also building a great, um, you know, intuitive tool layer in one kind of coherent software platform. So that's that's our mission. That's our focus. We're, we're not focused on adding trading uh, at the moment. We kind of see ourselves as a neutral Switzerland, if you will, mm-hmm. um, where people can use whatever brokerage they prefer. Um, you can link your accounts actually to Adam as well. And, you know, we like being in that space and kind of providing the folks with the added information layer on top of that. It's certainly been the year of the retail investor, especially over the last few months, particularly during the pandemic. Um, Are you trying to appeal to the Robin Hood demographic, so to speak? Uh, You know, I wouldn't say we're necessarily trying to appeal to, you know, a specific demographic beyond our kind of core uh, you know, focus that we've had since we launched the platform, which we really define as kind of the slightly higher end of the retail investor market. So think of folks who are a little bit more sophisticated than just your mm-hmm. uh, beginner. And then folks, you know, in the more professional side who really don't have uh, one of the institutional platforms we discussed before. So they're really, really these two audiences we feel are significantly underserved. And so that's kind of who we're focused on. We do have a good amount of users who, who are Robinhood users. Um, they tend to be at the slightly higher end of the Robinhood audience. But, you know, again, we're really focused on just providing um, and serving, providing a solution to and serving an audience that we feel has been significantly underserved in the past. What do you mean at the higher end of the Robinhood audience? So meaning like, I would say they tend to be more affluent um, within the Robinhood user right. base. We have larger account sizes and they tend to be a bit more sophisticated. Okay, I see. Uh, and, and this might be difficult to explain just because of the the medium that we're we're using. But one area that I know you focused a lot on is visual representation of this data, because you've argued in the past that uh, the ways that this data is presented hasn't changed in years. So just take me through your philosophy of of, of how you are making complicated financial data approachable to the largest number of people. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think first and foremost is is the UI. So you want to have a robust and powerful platform, but you do not want to just dump data on a screen. You don't want to have a hundred items in the menu bar. And so what we've tried to do is use a very simplistic and clean uh, user interface that actually, you know, kind of under the hood has tons of information and, and different sorts of tools that you can dive deeper into. So that's kind of first principles. Um, beyond that, on every screen, we always ask ourselves, what is the most pertinent information that the user wants to see here? So instead of just saying, hey, Let's just take all the data we have, you know, that's relevant for this screen and just dump it. Um, we actually are trying to show you what you care about. So an example of that is uh, we have a part of the app called Hubs. And Hubs is essentially a watch list on steroids. It basically shows you not only the quotes for the companies you've selected, as well as in the in the kind of the first table on the screen. And has all this other data associated with these companies. So things like returns. So, you know, what's the return for this company year to date over the last year, over the last five years? And then valuation multiples, margins, and growth rates, and consensus estimates. So that's all in actually in one table. And we obviously 
choose what defaults we show you based on what we think are important. So you don't have to even customize it. And then as well on that same screen, we show you the filings and transcripts for these companies. We show you the news for these companies. And we show you the kind of relevant upcoming events for these companies. So this is all in one place, um, super digestible. So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of functionality, but it's it's really easy to kind of navigate through. And we have everything that you would need there without, I think, overburdening the user. So that's just so one what- What's the what's the growth strategy here? You've raised, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm seeing is twelve point six million dollars, a Series A, a seed round. Um, you have a handful of employees right now. What's the growth strategy to get to the next level? Yeah, we're just continued. Uh, we're just focused on continuing to add more users, um, continue to improve the product, and we really think that, you know, again, this is a space where I think there's been a significant lack of product innovation, and we think that we are blending basically principles of both good software development and UX, as well as a really deep understanding of what the use case and needs are in this space. And so, you know, we continue to believe that if we make the product even better over time, um, we're going to attract more and more users. And that's really, it's really a B2C word of mouth kind of growth strategy that we're, that we're leveraging. And the focus remains on the user and on making the product better and better every day. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with Katie and with Eric. As always, this episode was produced by Mike Teich. If you're a fan of the podcast, please share it with a friend and leave a review. We'll see you next time on the Voices of Wall Street podcast.